Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. A person's worldview is primarily shaped and is firmly in place by the time someone reaches the age of 13. We tend to think of age 18 as the deadline. We have to get these students ready to commission out into the culture, onto their college campuses. But the Barna work is helping us realize our deadline is not 18. The deadline's a little earlier than that. You know, it's hard to believe summer's almost gone. And if they haven't already, where you are, schools are gearing up for the new school year. And actually, a lot of churches are as well. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot with Gabe. And, you know, social media, the news media, various groups with their agendas. We often talk on this show about dealing with the cultural influences that are pulling us away from our faith and from a biblical worldview and vision. Now, as parents, and plus maybe you're also a ministry leader at your church as well, are you taking seriously the cultural influences that are impacting our kids? They're being affected by many influences daily, even hourly. Gabe, this week we want to talk about our children. And the importance of shaping and forming our children so that they have not only the convictions, but also just the core understanding of what it means to be a Christian and to live in this world today. There's so many competing ideas, and we're all seeing it. It's everywhere in the news, whether it's gender ideology, things that are being taught in our schools that maybe don't align with your Christian way of thinking and biblical thinking. And parents are trying to navigate that really well. And I know for me, I grew up in a home that was a primarily a Christian home from the moment I was born. I grew up in the church. I was part of Awana, which is a program that helped me learn scripture early in life, um, scripture memory. Rebecca was a part of the same thing. So for us, we had this like strong basis. But I know when we went to New York City and we took our family to New York City several years ago, it became really clear to us that our children at their, their young elementary ages didn't have that same rooting and grounding that Rebecca and I had. And therefore, living in New York City, being a part of a different culture where we were very outnumbered in terms of our worldview, our ideology about the role of a Christian in the world— really started to show up. And it started to show up in the questions they would ask. It started to show up in the conversations we were having as we were confronted with a different worldview every day, walking the streets and in conversations with friends and neighbors. And what that did was provoke in them a curiosity and the ability for us to teach, the ability for us to start to shape them. But ultimately, we recognized that they didn't have the same roots that Rebecca and I had grown up, where we'd grown up in a church environment, scripture memory, lots of core assumptions that are now baked into our life and our worldview that we needed to give to our kids. And ultimately, when we left New York and we moved to Franklin, Tennessee, part of our vision was to give our kids this opportunity to be in an environment where they can be equipped by other adults and authorities in their life that align with how Rebecca and I see the world, to give them that worldview understanding at those early years while their brain is still being formed, their ideas are still being formed, their worldviews being established, Age 13, you're going to hear in this presentation, is a critical year. We, we don't have a lot of time 
to help our children really establish the way they view the world. And so because of all of that, today, I'm excited for you to hear from Matt Markins. Now, Matt Markins is the president and CEO of Awana. Now, Awana is that program I grew up in, Rebecca grew up in. It's amazing. And to see the way that has grown institutionally, internationally, the amount of churches, the hundreds of thousands of, of children who are being impacted by scripture and memory and study is just amazing. And they're doing so many innovative things. And so we invited him to the Culture Summit to talk about this idea of, of childhood disappearing. And that concept comes out of a book that Neil Postman wrote. I've referenced it on this podcast before called Building a Bridge to the 18th Century. Now, it's a book about the 1700s, essentially. And Postman makes the argument that we essentially created childhood in the 1700s, this season for kids to grow up and learn and develop before they were put to work. Um, before the 1700s, kids were growing up on the farm in industry. They were, they were being pushed out of the house and having to kind of live an adult life very early on. But in the 1700s, something special happened. And there was a decision truly throughout society and morally that we need to protect our children during these formative ages of their brain developing, reason developing, emotions developing. And we're going to give them this season where they can develop before they're pushed out into the world. And for 300 years, that's the way it's worked. What he argues now in his book, when he reflects on that, in this book, Building a Bridge to the 18th Century, he essentially says we've lost that window now. Our kids are now being exposed to the same content, the same difficult decisions, the same news, the same information that the adults are, and they're not prepared for it. And that's creating a bit of a crisis. So it's with that premise that I want you to listen to this nine-minute talk that really starts to help us all see what's happening with our children right now and what the opportunity is for us as families, for us as the church, to move into a place where we're fulfilling our obligations to our children. Let's listen in now. So uh, we're going to talk about childhood, what we all have in common. Let me start off by asking a question. How many of you have used any kind of mapping technology in the last 24 hours, like to get to queue, right? To get, as we transport around, maybe flights in, uh, getting our rental car. I want to talk about a, a map that I discovered this last year. So my wife and I were on vacation and we came across this map from the 1500s. Uh, maybe you've seen this. It uh, was created by the Italians. I'm sure it was a very well-funded exploration and discovery. Uh, but I don't know if you've ever seen something, maybe a piece of art or a clip from a movie or a song, and you feel like it's speaking to you. So I see this map, and I'm like, it's speaking to me. There's something here. And so what, what I was thinking about is if we could bring these map makers back from the dead and bring them up here at Q, what would we say to them? I think we would say, thank you. Like, I'm sure this is a well-funded project, but with limited technology, limited mobility compared to what we have today, limited visibility, look at what you created. I think what we would not say is, y'all are a bunch of idiots. Look at how off you were. Like, no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that, right? We would be filled with such gratitude. But here's the thing. If today's child educators were still using this map to educate our children, we'd be outraged. We would say, well, that's outdated information. We have more information now. That's going to lead to long-term navigational consequences, right? And I think we're at a similar problem with child formation or children's ministry in our churches in the West, 
The children's ministries that we know of in our churches in the United States were built in under a 1980s, 1990s set of assumptions in a quasi-Christian culture pre-2007 iPhone world. We just simply have more information now than we did then about mental health, about entertainment, about the lead factors that shape a child disciple. So at Q, we have the, we have the big blessing of d- discussing a wide variety of topics at the intersection of faith and culture as it relates to adulthood. But we want to move that down just a little bit for this talk right here into childhood. What exactly is forming our children? Perhaps one of the most uh, epic stats that gets a lot of press time is this from the Barna Group, that 64% of those post-high school are leaving the church. We've all heard this. This is not a new topic. But I guess you could say that this is the church's canary in the coal mine. Now, you may be familiar with the canary in the coal mine. The canary in the coal mine is this idea that when our great-grandfathers would go do hard manual labor underground, they would take a canary in a cage. And if, if that canary that was, was taking in the toxic gases, it would, it would fall over dead as a sign that there's a problem. That poor canary, right? But that canary was a bit of a dashboard metric to say there's a problem. But the point of the canary in the coal mine is not the canary dying. It's what was leading to that canary's death. What, what process, what deadly gas was leading to that? And much like that deadly gas... Uh, in discovering what that is, there's another Barna stat that gets way too little attention, and it's this right here. A person's worldview is primarily shaped and is firmly in place by the time someone reaches the age of 13. Now, let's think about this. We tend to think of age 18 as the deadline. We have to get these students ready to commission out into the culture, onto their college campuses. But the Barna work is helping us realize our deadline is not 18. The deadline's a little earlier than that. So who is today's 13-year-old? Today's 13-year-old just entered into the church's youth group. Two years prior to that, they were 11, graduating out of your children's ministries. Three years prior to that, they were eight. Eight years old is the heart of your church's children's ministry. And this is the good work where worldview is being formed. This is the process of getting today's kids ready to be a resilient disciple in our world. So that Barnestat, what does that Barnestat really mean? What it really means is we're up against a deadline and it's earlier than we thought. So in the past, as we've thought about these conversations at the intersection of faith and culture, we thought that children were more removed from those in a post or in a pre-iPhone world, in a quasi-Christian culture. But in today's world, these very same topics are all-encompassing for all of us, even our children. And they're being formed at a very rapid age, and childhood is disappearing. So you've probably read the very good work, many works by Neil Postman, who says, if parents wish to preserve childhood for their own children, they must conceive of parenting as an act of rebellion against culture. Now, when I see that, my first words, my first thought are the last few words, which I find a little jarring. I get a little PTSD from the, from the, the moralistic uh, culture wars from the 1980s and 90s. But I think the main point of this sentence, of this quote, are those words, conceive of parenting. Neil Postman was saying, we've got to think differently. We talked earlier about these idea of parallel structures. Neil Postman was saying parents have to become a parallel structure of forming and developing their children. Pastor Darren Whitehead, right here in the Nashville area, has said something similar. 
he said, we must begin with our children with the assumption that our children are being overly exposed with worldly discipleship and underexposed with biblical discipleship. That's the starting assumption. So what's actually happening in our children's ministries? So our our organization has conducted eight research projects in the children's ministry space just within the last nine years. And we just conducted our biggest one with the Barna Group. Uh, But we just got the early findings back. And I'm going to go over two super fast. The first one is this. Children's ministry leaders lack confidence in their impact. If you're in any way involved in the faith formation of your children and your students in your ministries, we heard this from you in the research. Let's talk about it. There's a lot of data here, but what I want you to see is, let's read the top, but compared to churchgoers, ministry leaders are half as likely to feel that the church, its leaders, and services for children are influential in a child's development. So look at the far left, the areas that both agreed, ministry leaders and churchgoers, they both agreed that parents and guardians and friends and social media were wildly influential. But look at the blue bars on the far right. This is church leaders saying about themselves, Myself as a church leader and our services for children, we have no confidence that what we are doing with children is making an impact. But here's the thing. There's something church leaders are doing that is having massive impact. Here it is. Churches that invest in a highly relational community are more likely than their their other churches to produce disciples going into student student years. So two two out of five were... Four out of 10 children in the United States are in a church where there's a highly relational community of loving, caring adults engaging in their lives. Six out of 10 are not, 60% are not. This next slide is filled with way too much data, but what I want you to see are the differences of the green bars compared to the gray bars. Check this out. What you really need to notice here is it's not even close. It's not even close. So we're talking about Bible engagement, understands that Christ is my savior, serves the community, serves the church. If your church wants to make lasting faith in children, the secret ingredient is people. It's not entertainment and Bible light strategy. It's loving, caring adults engaging with children. So if you're a lead pastor and you're cultivating community and adults who see children, you're probably much more likely shaping those children to be young disciples. So if we remain in the old map, with a lot of emphasis on entertainment and what we call the bible light strategy, we're probably going to continue to get the same results. But church leaders should be asking this question as we land the plane. What if we shifted our thinking from children's ministry, which can mean a lot of things, to child discipleship? Thank you for that applause. Andy Crouch said it best earlier. What can we invest in now that will produce fruit for generations to come? Child discipleship is the is this antidote to disappearing childhood. You invest in child discipleship. You're investing in the most future-forward, strategic part of the local church. Thank you for what you do. God bless. Uh, That again was Matt Markins, president and CEO of Awana. And it's so interesting to hear, Gabe, the research they've been using to hone how they do what they do to help disciple our kids in this modern so-called connected world. Matt's passion for child discipleship is second to none. And I love it. And I think when we think about big ideas, we really do want to reduce this down to how we're forming and shaping the minds and the hearts of our youngest. We know other religions do this really well. I think of Islam. I think of 
the routines that they're put into early in life to memorize the Quran, to memorize these passages so that it's indoctrination. It's truly indoctrination. And as a Christian and as a parent, I want to indoctrinate my children into a biblical view. I want them to understand how this world functions. I want them to understand the way God sees them and how he sees them and what he wants for them and how their life can flourish. And so if we understand that a child's worldview is being formed by this age of 13, we've got to figure out how we as parents, how we are as churches, how we're going to work to be a part of the solution. This isn't a quick fix thing. But it is something that we've got to commit to. We've got to redouble our efforts to how do we build stronger children's ministries in our churches and how do we create space for our children to have these dialogues. So true. And Gabe, you've been following the last several years the ways Awana has really leaned in, you know, staying curious, commissioning important research, asking important questions so they could think well about how to disciple children and then advance good by transforming the way they do children's discipleship. Now, since we have time, let's go back to a conversation you, Gabe, had with the former Awana CEO, Valerie Bell, after she and Awana released an important book called Resilient. Child Discipleship for the Fearless Future of the Church that really sets the new course for Awana. Let's listen to just a snippet of your conversation with Valerie. This idea of resilience, and I know you've written the book on this, related to discipleship for children, but the idea of resilience is so important in early child development. I mean, I know that we know just from psychologists that a child's ability to show resilience throughout their early life into teenager world, into college, sets the stage for their success as an adult, right? Yes, and and yes. I know you're applying it specifically to the idea of spiritual development, but it feels like even in our culture, there's been a lot of recognition that some of our children just aren't as resilient as maybe children once were. I'm always interested, even coming through this pandemic, to see how children are responding to it. It, it was funny, during the Q event, we actually talked to a couple of teenagers about it. And their response was, hey, we're actually really enjoying having a little break from from the constant <laughs> movement and productivity and constant demands. And it's actually been kind of nice to actually take yeah. a break and to focus on some other priorities. And I, I don't know that many people would assume that kids would feel that way, but it's been interesting to see that, you know, their ability to adjust, even our ability, I'm sure you've been impressed for yourself and your husband, like to just adjust to these crazy circumstances that yes. if somebody would have told you you had to go through this six months ago, you might've said, I could never do that. No, we never would have believed that. And it happened to us within the space of days with, within the space of days, the world was brought to its knees. So here's the thing. Resilience is um, not just something you happen to be born with or not. It's here's the good news. It can be learned. It can be taught. And for uh, from the spiritual dimension of resilience, discipleship is the muscle that builds resilience. So Angela Duckworth, in one of her books, Grit, talked about um, grit is what you think when you fall down. And just like you talked about, these kids are saying, hmm, there's some good things about this. You know, they're showing a certain amount of resilience and grit 
where if this is just the worst thing and you don't think you're going to ever get over it, and I don't want to um, downplay the circumstances some people are going through because there is a lot of tragedy and uh, stress happening right now in American culture. But if you can't apply the scriptures that are always so very terribly optimistic about uh, God's provision in difficult times and uh, the uh, how our faith urges God towards us. All of these things um, can make such a difference in how we get through difficult times. And so, um, yeah, let's learn resilience. Let's make sure that when our kids are coming to us at churches, we're not just spiritually entertaining them or, you know, uh, hurting them in great big crowds uh, numbers, but that we're actually doing the work of discipleship. So we have this a dream that God gave us in the midst of COVID of all things, uh, where we felt he was saying to us, raise up the greatest generation of disciples. And I love that dream. And I recognize that it implies that there are going to be the greatest generation of disciple makers that need to be pulled up into this whole resilient conversation and uh, be uh, encouraged to dream fabulous, amazing dreams for the future of the church. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, I love that. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of your work and what you do at Awana. I mean, a lot of people maybe haven't heard of Awana, but Awana has been something that, that many children churches have used as a program to try to disciple children from the early stages. I know when I was four years old, I was part of the Awana program. It was called Sparkies, I think at the time. <laughs> and and I remember getting the little red vest. And as I memorized scripture, I'd get the jewel that you could put on. Yes. And, you know, it was, it was this beautiful thing. I mean, all the way through my elementary years into sixth grade, where I learned so much scripture. And I realized now in my life, how critical that foundation was. And at the time, I wouldn't have realized it. At the time, my parents just wanted me to be absorbing scripture when I'm in that early grammar stage, right, where we children are like sponges, and they'll just take in anything that you give them. And I remember doing that and then realizing as I became older, and our family lived in New York City for a season, and remembering and thinking back, wow, without that foundation, I'm not sure I can navigate some of the things I'm called to navigate right now. And so for those listening, I would just say, whether it's Awana, which I'm a huge fan of, and I know you guys are doing a lot to innovate there so that more and more families and people could start to have access to this type of scripture memorization and discipleship. But in any way that you as a parent or as a friend can mentor young people, there's a huge opportunity. And I agree with you, Valerie, this season I think this is the opportunity for the church is discipleship. Mm. Yeah. So whether it's a WANA or it's something else, uh, the whole focus that we need to be working on and understanding is discipleship. And that can or may not happen with any program. We, we can run a WANA sometimes and maybe not even have that happening. So um, we know the components of discipleship now. And you talked about one of them that, uh, you know, hiding the word of God in your life, even as a small child, you didn't really need those verses yet. But they were there when you hit the wall of real life when you were older. And they were uh, ministering and speaking into your decision making and your identity and a lot of the things that you were probably struggling with as an older uh, or teenage boy. Um, so uh, I would really challenge anybody who's working in the church, not just in the children's wing, but in the church, to ask the hard question 
question. Are we making disciples? And that's a hard one. We're asking Yerawana uh, the same question. We're putting ourselves through the same uh, measurement uh, grids uh, that we're asking the church to do as well. Because if we could work together on this and shift a few things and make sure that the, the, the primary basis of discipleship are being formed in children's lives, I, I call them the three foundations. Make sure that those three foundations are happening in children's lives. We do have the possibility of raising a unique generation of disciples, a unique uh, group of a uh, generation who can navigate in their culture, not be marginalized by the culture or silenced by the culture. And we can help them now with that. Well, again, that's former Awana CEO Valerie Bell from a conversation a couple of years ago here on Q Ideas talking about children's discipleship and spiritual resilience. Again, as we've talked about on this show today, our children face a lot of influences at school, online, in their social groups. It's important to ask questions and think well about how our families and churches can help our kids better as they try to stay anchored in the truths of the Christian faith and developing in them a Christian worldview. And Gabe, we heard Matt Markins talk about their latest research, and he gave some of the top-line findings at the Culture Summit this spring. Is there a way our listeners can dig into that information more deeply? Well, there's a resource that Awana created in partnership with Barna called Children's Ministry in a New Reality, Building Church Communities that Cultivate Lasting Faith. And that research report provides insight on children and families, resilient faith in the changing world. And, and out of that, there were two big themes that I want you to take away from it. One was to prepare our children for faith-filled adulthood, we need to consider reframing children's ministry as something closer to child discipleship. And so in this report, it lays out what does it mean to really think about discipling our children? And then second, the work of discipling children should not fall solely to a church or a kid's ministry staff or to parents. It's, it's a point of focus for our entire church bodies. It's your friends being a part of that with you. It's the church, but it's also us as parents taking our rightful responsibility. So if you're leading in any capacity as a pastor, maybe as a leader in your church, an elder or a parent that says, I really want to make sure I'm doing my best to influence where we're going as a children's ministry in our church, how we're doing this as parents, get a copy of this children's ministry in a new reality. You can get it at awana.org slash shop. And when you go to awana.org slash shop, you can go see that and other resources. But get familiar with Awana. I think you would be encouraged by what they've been doing for so many years now and what they're going to continue to do as they evolve into helping parents navigate raising children and discipling them for the culture that we're in. I hope you have a great week. Few Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.